You are listening to iFanboys Talk Explode, the creator interview podcast from iFanboy.com. I am Josh Flanagan, and I'm here today with Ron Richards, and we're going to be talking with Dwayne Swarsinski, Marvel exclusive writer, writer of Dead of Night, Werewolf by Night, Cable, The Immortal Iron Fist, and Punisher Max. Additionally, Dwayne is also known as a crime fiction writer. Severance Package is his latest book. Sing muse of the warning by the This is Josh, and we are here with Dwayne Swarzynski and uh, Ron. Hey, how's it going? Very good. Um, we wanted to talk to you because uh, you are uh, you're blowing up at Marvel. I think that's that's one way to put it. <laughs> that's, good. that's a good thing, right? Is that or is that me being blown up? I th- I like, think it's good. Exploded. <laughs> you showed up in comics relatively recently, and then now you have an exclusive contract, and now you have uh, like a whole slew of, of sort of monthly books coming out. So what's what's that experience been like? It's been great. I mean, I'm like, you know, the freshman girl at a, at a kegger. I can't say no, apparently, uh, when it comes to my editors at Marvel. Um, it, I'm actually not, no more stunned. I'm more stunned than anything else that it's all worked out. When I was first approached, um, I was put in touch with Warren Simons over at Marvel by Ed Brubaker, who we had exchanged a few emails and talked about crime fiction and such. And, you know, I thought at the most, I was hoping at the most, hoping for maybe a backup story and some issue at some point. That way I can just die, at, you know, someday having written at least some, you know, something in Marvel Comics. <laughs> I, I wasn't happy with that. Um, but, you know, we started hearing off some ideas, and one of the first ideas we talked about was, you know, Werewolf by Night. I'm a big horror fan, you know, going way back. And um, that worked out, and then Axel Alonso and I started talking, and, you know, he mentioned this thing, the cable that was brewing. So it kind of really did, you know, snowball into a lot of projects um, pretty fast. And I just feel very fortunate to be, you know, to be part of that um, process. So... It's been great. It really has. So were you a, a long-time comic book fan? Or, I mean, had you been reading all along? Oh, definitely. I mean, you know, from childhood, definitely. You know, in high school, you kind of, um, I kind of saw the comics wagon a bit and it, into more reading horror novels, actually. Um, and even back then, I think I really couldn't afford many comics back in the day, whereas I got a lot of books secondhand and things. Um, but I fell back into it, you know, in, in college a bit, and I, got, I picked up, you know, the... The, the big events, um, the Watchmen, you know, the Dark Knight Returns back in the day, and I read a lot of, you know, actually a series of horror comics that were great, like Clive Barker did, the uh, Hellraiser Steel Anthology series, so I've always been in touch. And I got back in the big way, I guess back in 2000, um, I worked near a comic book shop and really just started buying them again, and um, my wife can tell you, much to her chagrin, <laughs> but I a lot of money on comics, and really just, you know, read my eyes out over the years. Uh, gravitating mostly to, you know, a lot of to horror and crime, but, um, you know, a lot of superhero books involve those elements these days, so that, that's, it's, been, it's been fun. So, I'm, yeah, the long, uh, long answer to the short question was yes, long-time reader. Did you have any, um, like growing up, you said you, you, you know, you were reading comics, and did you have any, uh, did you read Marvel versus DC? How did you kind of like, what was your gateway into horror comics? Because I know Marvel had some old horror stuff in the 70s, you know, like the, you yeah. know, like the old Dracula, Doom of Dracula stuff and stuff like that. Was that the stuff you gravitated towards, or? Yeah, oh, definitely. The first comic I ever read was a Werewolf by Night comic, and it was in the form of a um, book and record set back in the seventies that I received nice. at Christmas. <laughs> Remember that? It was like this weird, you know, it was creepy as hell, and it really was. Um, I, I maybe I was like six or seven or something, you know, listening to this, this sound and. I remember the image of a werewolf, you know, Jack Russell leaping over a fence and some cop taking a few shots at him. I'm like, wow, that's, that's it. <laughs> I love this stuff. Um, 
But yeah, I, I guess you know, I, I always it sounds made up, but I really was a Marvel guy growing up. You know, and really there were there were differences. You know, um, although I did cheat on Marvel a bit with Batman, I'm a huge Batman fan. So, um, <laughs> but you know, here's one I really I just look for good stories. You know, I really don't. You know, I'll pick up everything. I, I, mean, I love the Vertigo series from DC, you know, the, the imprint. Um, I just love following good stories and good writers. Um, so I'll go wherever, you know, good stories are being told. So it's a little bit, it's a little bit of fanboy dream come true to be actually, like, not only writing at Marvel, but actually, you know, getting a lot of work for Marvel. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, my Marvel especially, I mean, I, I, you know, I'm a big Spider-Man fan as well. I named my firstborn son Parker after Peter Parker. <laughs> so... Wow, that's yeah, hardcore, that's, dude. That's all. That's awesome. <laughs> my wife doesn't know that. That's what the uh, origin is. So please don't tell does her. She, does she not know that? Oh, jeez. <laughs> no, she, she can't. She can't listen to this interview. <laughs> exactly. Block her. <laughs> so when you so, you so when you sort of started reading in 2000, which by the way is about when everybody came back. It feels like. But is that true? Really, 2000 seems to be a year that people flocked back. <laughs> oh, yeah. See, it's, it seems to be yeah because what happened was that we had the the crash in the mid 90s and then really bad stuff in the late 90s and then with 2000 when like Casada took over and Marvel and things like that. That really seems to be when people started gravitating back to collecting. Um, from what we I know. Yeah. I didn't know it was beyond me. That's what I thought it was just me, you know, having to kind of find it at that time. But that's interesting. What were the What were the sort of series that you first sort of when you started going back? Like, what were the things that sort of grabbed you? Honestly, one of the things was the uh, X Men movie came out. You know, and I remember liking the X Men. I thought, wow, okay, you know what? It's been a while. And uh, I mentioned this. This comic shop was like a few blocks from where I was working at the time, and I wanted in. You know, I just thought I'd dip my toe in and see what was going on. And after a while, it's like you know, it's your first you know taste of heroin after years. You know, mm-hmm. a little dip, and then you're Back living in a flop house, you know. <laughs> it was really off of the movie, you know, and I, I know people get a lot of crap for that, you know, if they all the movies, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, it got me back into it a bit. Um, and from there, maybe if you're, if you're right, there was just sort of this reinvigoration, it seemed, you know, when Casada took over. And, you know, I remember I was, I'm one of those nerds who actually, I'm a fan of editors, and I was following, you know, stuff that Axel Alonso was putting out in DC and Vertigo. I mean, I was a big fan of the Flinch. Uh, series, the anthology of horror stories. So when I heard he was going to come over to Marvel, I thought, okay, cool, what's what's he editing? And that's how sad I am. I follow editors. <laughs> wow, an editor fanboy. <laughs> I, know, <laughs> I think it's a, really it's a new one. <laughs> we get those from time to time. Axel doesn't believe me about that, by the way. He thinks I'm just fucking up, but it's true. I didn't know who he was and followed him. God help me. <laughs> um, now, you had been working in sort of magazine journal in journalism, and then you were writing uh, nonfiction books, then crime novels, and, and now comics. Does exactly. it feel like that's all sort of one straight line, or are they all sort of very different uh, uh, different ways of working? Yeah, that's funny. I've always wanted to do fiction, but back in college, I realized that you know it's really hard to pay the bills with fiction, you know, or writing, let alone fiction. Mm-hmm. So I got into thinking that I, you know, support my fiction habit by working in journalism, but also learning how to be a better writer. And I think you know, working in a newspaper or magazine helps you beat a lot of bad writing out of your system. So you know. That, that kind of those kind of skills you can apply to fiction certainly. Uh, a lot of my favorite writers are former journalists. There's you know Michael Connolly, who's a mystery writer. He was a reporter for a number, number of years. Uh, James Kane, who wrote The Post Always Rings Twice. You know, so a lot of these you know, folks, you know writers really have had that kind of like you know meat grinder approach, <laughs> where they kind of all the you know, that stuff kind of you know is shucked away, and their prose hopefully is a little more lean uh, for the experience. So I think it, you know, it's a weird, it's a weird, it's a straight line. No. But I think my experiences did help me. You know, I think when I eventually did go finally full time with fiction, which is actually about a year ago in February, I left my 
job the paper and just did you know from there went to comics and, and books. So in in yeah. terms of your in, ter- in in terms of your your you know fiction and nonfiction work your uh, your nonfiction work kind of jumped out at me because you're actually the author of a book that has been very influential for some of my friends and uh, really? that's the big the big book o beer. That's great to hear. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, but it's really interesting to see your nonfiction work, you know, just looking on your Wikipedia page that you've got, you know, these, you know, a couple of books about beer and drinks and then, you yeah, know, a couple, yeah. books, a couple of books about crime and that, all that kind of stuff. How, when you're, when you're working on nonfiction stuff, how do you, how do you gravitate towards those topics? Are there things you're just interested in or just gigs that you were able to land? Actually, you know, things I've been interested in, I'm always, I've always been interested in vice, you know, crime and, you know, the dark side of humanity. Um, and it's funny, the, uh, the drink book, which is the first, one of the first nonfiction books, came from a failed magazine pitch. And I was actually pitching to do a magazine piece, I think, for, for Men's Health on drinking. And, of course, that didn't quite fit in with their ethos, you know, drinking. Yeah. But um, it was like, you know, uh, the idea of, like, you know, almost like the MacGyver Guide to Drinking. And you're in a certain situation, here's what you should drink. And from there, um, you know, I had the pitch. Um, my book agent sold it to um, a Philadelphia publisher, Quirk. And it did really well, and they decided to do a sequel. And I thought, okay, from, from cocktails, we'll go to beer. And that's how the big book of beer was born. Um, cool. I'm the, uh, that's the third, the third book in the series, the big book of hardcore drugs, but that, that probably won't happen. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a harder sell. <laughs> it's a rougher research process also. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> how has the sort of transition to writing comics been? Has it been, from coming from, say, uh, prose fiction, to doing comic book scripts, has that been an easy transition, or or, or is there is there some growing pains? Um, yeah, easy in some ways, because I think stories do function the same way. And you know, in between you know novels or short stories or scripts, the biggest um, switch for me was thinking in terms of just visuals. You know, my my style of writing, um, I kind of follow the Elmore Leonard school, where he didn't describe any, he doesn't describe anything basically. Like he says, if you describe the weather, you're doing it wrong. Um, just like, you know, get into and have characters talking and doing things. And that's comics to a degree, but it's also, you have to have a very, you know, have a visual imagination to give the artist something fun to work with. And that to me was, you know, a little bit of transition, retraining my brain to think visually and how things will play out, you know, on a, a series of panels versus, you know, a short chapter or something. Mm-hmm. That makes any sense. Well, early on, were you, like, getting notes from editors? Were you getting pages back that had backgrounds that you hadn't thought of at all, or...? Uh, mostly, like, actually, it's actually early on, it was more in terms of pacing. You know, like, you know, where you should end a page and where the next page should pick up, how to maximize that. And after, and I'm, I'm kind of a quick learner, so after a while, it did kind of click in pretty fast, what he was looking for and kind of what the... And I, you know, went back and read, you know, reread a lot of my favorites and kind of saw some of those tricks, you know, through different eyes. Now that I was doing it, it was interesting to see how, you know, these things kind of play out in things I read years ago. Um... But yeah, and the biggest challenge was, you know, the visuals and talking to an artist, too, because it really is a collaborative thing where, you know, I don't want to ruin the artist's fun and kind of give everything, you know, everything on a page, but I also don't want to be vague and kind of have nothing, like, you know, man talks to other man, you know, <laughs> it has to be something to go on, you know. The artist to, to have fun with. So, um, so as you start as you start uh, as you start writing comics, you, your kind of first you know kind of big name book was Cable. Um, at least the, the one that caught that that caught my eye with what, with your writing and things like that. So, you know, picking up a character that is possibly one of the most oh I don't you know 
um, I don't want to say maligned, but uh, you know, a lot of people have opinions about the character of Cable. Um, you can say it. Much- you can say it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, there's the connotation with the, the 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 missing ankles and the pouches and the guns and things like that, and the Rob Liefeld effect. Um, so, how how much awareness of the character did you have going into it, and and what what is your what is your take on it when you get offered, you know, the the role, writing gig of Cable? Well, what's funny is I, mean, I, I wasn't too aware of him. I mean, I was aware who he was and what his deal was, but. You know, he appeared, his, his prime time was the 90s when he kind of dropped off and wasn't reading, you know, um, the X-Men or, or, or many comics at all, certainly. And, um, you know, what sold me on it was the story I just had in mind. You know, once he explained kind of how he fit into the whole Messiah complex spin out, then it was like, ah, okay. I mean, and I really found a lot of a lot of stuff in the character that really fascinated me, and uh, especially with where he was going. You know, we kind of really did talk about and plot out, you know, most of the run. Um kind of where he's going and the journey he's taking. And I frankly, it appealed to me because I'm a father, you know, and then part of the story was him raising this girl in the future. And I have a, you know, five-year-old daughter. And uh, you, you'll see a lot of, you know, my wife sees a lot of her in, in the, the character Hope in the Cable series, you know. Yeah. I really do take the experience I've had with the daughter and think, okay, if I were a gruff, bitter old soldier, mutant in the future, and I had some kid, you know, bitching at me, what would I do right now? You know, that kind of thing. Um, so it relates to me, you know, personally, and I think that's the key for any story. If I can find my own kind of hook into it, where it makes sense to me personally, then it doesn't matter too much, you know, what's come before. You can always learn that stuff, you can always research it. But it's like the engagement of, okay, who is this character, why is he interesting to me, and what can I do with him is what, you know, brought me to it. So, so uh, you're handed the character, and, and, and the situation was is the end of Messiah Complex. The first mutant baby is born. Cable's protecting her. He jumps into the future. and that, So that was handed to you. How much of the story was like, did Axel say, okay, we want to get to this point and do whatever you want? Or was it just like, here are the pieces. What do you want to do with it? Yeah, I mean, it was like, here, here's what kind of what's going on. What would yeah. you, here are these things, you know. Here's, kind of up a ladder. here's, here's your half of the ladder. How would you finish your journey at the ladder? What would you do with it, you know, with yeah. this setup? And, you know, I pitched a few things. Um, you know, a lot of them are kind of what in, in the series, like the idea that his, his time machine is broken. He only goes forward. We can see a lot of things, stories where time travel can go back and forth, and that creates, you know, kind of nonsense. But I thought, wow, if you're trapped, you can only go forward. Eventually, you hit a wall, you know. Right. And that's kind of a, a, a fascinating thing to me, what would happen if you were trapped in this sort of this time trap thing. Um, but, yeah, I mean, we had a lot of meetings, and that was the fun of it. Um, I was used to collaboration through my day jobs in the past, newspapers and magazines. It's all about meetings. And this is, you know, a lot more fun, frankly. You know, going in, up to New York, um, I'm only a short distance away from New York. I go up and we talk about, you know, Bishop and Cable over, over beer on the corner from Marvel. It was great. Cool. Um, so with with the story, there's there's been a lot of kind of comparison or, you know, kind of it, it's got the feel of a lone wolf and cub. Was that something that you were going for or was that just kind of because it's a, a soldier and a baby? Well, you know, it's hard to, you know, I, I, I read the series and loved it. I mean, it's hard to, you know, avoid that when you have an old man and a baby going. But I think we're trying, you know, if it was just that, the baby wouldn't age. I think what we're doing here is aging her. You know, and she's, she's headed somewhere. You know, she's headed to her, her destiny. So that's a little different um, to me, at least. Right. Um, so, so, so the most important question then is who is the baby? Is it Gene? Come on, tell us. If I speak the words, I think my brain will explode and I'll stop talking and I'll be, I'll be, I'll feel over. So the first meeting, the implant was the first meeting. We we asked the same thing. We we did a we did a email interview with Jamie McKelvey. We asked him the same thing, and he kept his mouth shut as well. So <laughs> it was just it was just funny. Awesome. 
Yeah, well, well, that that's also interesting because you're because working, you know, you were working with Ariel Olivetti on the book first, right? And yeah, um, exactly. and so then transitioning from Olivetti, who's got a very definitive style, to somebody like McKelvey, who's got an equally definitive but very different style. How, th- does that change the way you write? You know, to adjust for the artist style, or you just kind of let them make make do with what what you've written? Well, what's funny is actually the, what's coming out the next two issues, eleven and twelve. If uh, Ariel does kind of the bookends, and Jamie does, you know, most of the meat of the next two books, and it's funny how coincidentally, this is meant to be the, it's a little more of the personal, you know, story, the small personal story versus the big bombastic, you know, battles and, and bullets flying everywhere kind of story. I don't know if Axel had that in mind when he assigned Jamie the, the art or what, but it's a marriage I thought made in heaven. Because what Jamie does, the, the pages are fantastic, you know, really, you can, he's really deadly boring when you have two characters just speaking a lot. Right. You know, but Jimmy brought something really cool. I just love how he, you know, the emotion he brings to their faces, you know. And the girl's a little older, and she's finally, you know, developing kind of, you know, more of her own personality. And I just loved what Jamie did with that. He ran with it. That was cool. a blast. Yeah, no, that that was one thing when that was a, a definite head scratcher when it was announced that Jamie would be working on the book. I mean, it was it was great to see. I mean, we're big fans of his work, and it was great to see it. But but it was like, wow, him on cable, interesting, you know. So. Um, uh, yeah, it's um, like, you know, Woody Allen directing a Friday the 13th movie. It's like, what? What the hell's right. going on? <laughs> right, but those are, those are the kind of, I mean, those are the kind of, I guess, artistic stretches, you know, in, in a way, like, similar you, for yourself as well as a writer, if you're, you know, primarily with interest in crime and, and that sort of, in horror, you know, to take, yeah. to take you know, a, a, you know, kind of, you know, Lone Wolf and Cub-esque in the future time travel story must be a stretch for you as well. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, I guess what it is genre-wise. I mean, I, I'm a science fiction reader, but I haven't written very much science fiction at all. Mm. And uh, Cable Louie is a science fiction story. You know, it's a futuristic sort of, you know, Western slash, you know, war story. Um, but I guess what, you know, interested me and kind of is similar for me was that he's a character who's kind of screwed. Uh, and I'm really a, a big fan of noir fiction and, you know, horrible crime. And all those characters are in a situation where you're kind of really screwed. And I kind of like watching characters squirm, you know, when things uh, are piled on top of them. And right. that's what, you know, for me, is familiar ground for Cable, at least. Right. So how much of how much of the impending X-Men horizon lies ahead? I mean, is there a point where Cable comes back to the present and, and transitions more, you know, gets mainstreamed into the, into the bigger X-Men books? Because right now it's kind of off in its own little futuristic world. Right. Uh, well, there's two things, you know, I can say. One is... There's a crossover coming up in uh, March with uh, X-Force, which I'm pretty excited about. Um, and you'll see a lot of familiar faces. I can't say too much about it. I mean, there's been some solicits, but those two, you know, Cable and, and the X-Force meet up again. I don't want to say where or when, but they do. And, uh, and then beyond that, we did have the whole thing um, pretty well you know, mapped out. We had an X-Men uh, summer meeting last, last summer in Los Angeles. And, you know, I was surprised to see how, really, how far and how deep the plans go. Um, I mean, I was aware of in my corner of things, but you know, as far as the you know the X Men you know, universe, it's it's pretty well planned. And w- was that your first kind of like summit meeting type thing, the the legendary Marvel summits? It was. It was. It's funny, yeah. and it included an earthquake halfway through. Which oh, nice! <laughs> <laughs> really the ideas were the ideas were so big, the ground shook. <laughs> yeah, we caused it. It was yeah, <laughs> it was really freaky. The people from the West Coast probably reacted completely differently than the people from the East Coast. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, it was really funny. It seemed like, you know, um, you know Chris Yost, or like, whatever. <laughs> and meanwhile, I'm going to act like, holy, you know, crap. What's going on? Um, you you know, get you used expect, to it. You, man, it, <laughs> it was like, um, it wasn't a movie earthquake, because I felt like it had a giant rumble and a roar. 
and then all of a sudden the building just shook back and forth like a carnival ride, you know? It wasn't like trembling or vibrating. It was like moving back and forth for quite a while. And I thought, oh, great, I'm going to die here in an X-Men conference. Yes. <laughs> My life's complete. That's what you want at the end of the obituary. Um, <laughs> and and so you, you've also got a Bishop series. So you are going deeper and deeper into the X-Men world. World. <laughs> yes. Did you pitch a Bishop series? They said, you want to do Bishop? And you had to be like, let me look him up. <laughs> Who's that again? Who's this guy? No, uh, it was... Um, it was the idea we, we would tell the Bishop, Bishop story um, in Cable at some point. Then we talked about it more, and the idea was, okay, let's tell it, you know, in his own book, you know, a limited series, just sort of because he deserves a little more space, you know, in kind of describing what's in his mind, why he came, why he wants to kill this baby, why it's so important. And it's kind of, you know, it's, I've tried to hint at it in the series so far, but it really kind of needed its own, like, okay, here's his deal. Um, he may not be the bad guy you thought he was, and here's why. And it's been fun. I, I loved it. I had a blast um, writing it. Because it's almost like, you know, do for the devil, finally. It's like you go back and say, okay, you may think he's a bad guy, but really this is what he's had to deal with. So you judge him now after knowing, after knowing this. Mm-hmm. Now, now you said that, that uh, Ed Brubaker was the one who, who sort of introduced you to Marvel, um, uh, and, and he was the one who was doing Iron Fist. So is that how you got into starting on that book? I think so. I think it's a combination of, Definitely Ed, uh, and also you had Warren Simons, who um, I've been working with on Werewolf even back then, before you know, Iron Fist. He's like my stuff, and then you know I, I think what's clear now is actually you know that that Matt was leaving to do you know Iron Man and a bunch of other things, and Ed was really super busy. So uh, Warren wanted to continue on, but not unless you know they had the right story. Mm-hmm. So you know Warren approached me and said, "Okay, hey, if if dude, you know if we did this, what would you do with it?" And I gave him a few ideas, and we you know went from there. And I'm so glad, you know, it worked out because I was um, a big Iron Fist fan from, you know, the, their first issue. And what I love about it is it's this great big story machine. You know, I really had managed to hop a lot of genres in the past, you know, only seven or eight months mm-hmm. with the series. And that's been a blast for me. Um, so, uh, should, should we, should, Josh, should we tell him our Iron Fist story? Sure. About how, how, well, we were all reading Iron Fist and we were <laughs> loving Brubaker and Fraction and David Aja's work. And then they announced they're leaving and, like, Adamantly, very rarely are we all on the same page, but adamantly we were all like, we're not reading the book anymore. Like we didn't even consider reading it. And then, and then for whatever reason, both Josh and I, I think we 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 were so intrigued by the end of it that we we picked up your first issue, and we're both like, shit, it's good. And like it's like, wow, this guy's actually going to do it, and I'm still reading it. And it's been it's been a great it's been a great surprise. Like it was, you get you get so used to following creators, and the as a fan, the reaction when your one of your favorite creators leave is is kind of like a, a distinct hatred of the new guy, even though you don't know anything about him. And sure. and with that first story arc, you really sold me, and I'm still buying the book. I'm still on board with it. So well, that's great to hear. I mean, really, honest, trust me. Even even I, mean, I knew I was doing it. Even I was disappointed. I'm like, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to read anymore for Baker Fraction and Iron Fist books. I mean, um, I totally understand that. I, I, I do the same thing, you know, um, you know where I, if someone's leaving a book or, 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 or you know, even a, a series of movies or something, it's like, ah, oh, it won't be the same, you know, as this new guy. But, you know, I'm glad people are giving it a chance. I think, you know, I haven't heard too many complaints about it, me totally dropping the ball, but I have heard some really encouraging things like, hey, it's, it's you know, hey, not so bad to... Hey, it's pretty good in its own right. So we'll see where it goes. Was the was the Dead by Thirty Three thing that was in your first issue? Wasn't left over from theirs, right? No, it was actually there. Uh, Matt set that up. Oh, okay. I mean, he had um, you know a couple firecrackers he tossed in my lap, and that was one of them. And that was just fun. It was like you know again, okay, how he didn't really explain it though. I mean, it was just sort of there at the fact all Iron Fist died at this age, 
you know, you know was, what would you do with it? And the other firecracker he tossed um, from the, you know, his run was the Eighth City, that cryptic reference, you know, mm-hmm. at the end of um, the Seven Capital Cities of Heaven, where it's like, there is an Eighth City. Like, what? Yeah. And that's, been, that's, the, uh, that's where the, the next arc picks up with that. It's it's funny how you know sometimes a writer leaving a book can leave you completely screwed and sometimes they can leave you like a, 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 a many riches and it feels like with that book yeah. they gave you all of these things to go and run with. Oh, they're, they're both princes. They're both great guys. I mean, and we had you know some conversations too about kind of what they were thinking, but they didn't though step on me and say, okay, here's what you do, you know, young man. Here's what your story is. It was um, more about okay, here's some cool possibilities. You know, go with it. Here's what we planned it for you. Um, and that's just I think it's a mark of a. Of a, you know, just a smart writer, and they're both extremely smart writers who, even their own works, leave a lot of cool little things. You leave little treasures here and there, I think, yourself sometimes that later might, you know, that might be dug up or not or whatever, but they're there, planted here and there. Mm-hmm. So um, that's, you know, that's, that's fun. What is it you like about Danny Rand? What is it that makes him unique? Because really, I mean, he's like, he's another, you know, billionaire, billionaire adventurer, playboy, but, but there, there's something about him, and I think that, that uh, Matt and Ed went a long way to sort of make him his own character in addition to some of the stuff yeah. that Bendis was doing. But, but I mean, but what, what's your, what's your take on Danny Rand? What do you think about him? He, he's like a big kid to me. You know, my, my take on him is that he was orphaned at a young age and part of him like was frozen, you know, emotionally at that, that age, uh, as a boy. At the same time, he went through, you know, difficult trials. He's a serious martial artist. I mean, he's faced challenges that no, you know, few men have faced, but still there's a kid inside of him. So he has those like, you know, those kid moments. Um, he can be naive at times, but like a kid, he also has a sort of really, you know, strong sense of wrong and right. And it makes him a great hero, uh, I think. But there is that, you know, he has a few dumb moments, you know, <laughs> which I love about him. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> that's one of you know, Warren Simons and I agree on that. We just, we just love Danny that, you know, he has these two sort of warring sides of him, you know, the, the kid and the adult with, you know, this, this huge mantle on his shoulders, uh, hero, you know, brother, friend, lover, and he has all these roles he wears. Um, but at the end, he's, he's still he's a kid, and that's, you know, that's appealing to me. How long are you sticking with Iron Fist? As long as they'll have me. Uh, we've been planning stories for quite a while, um, especially, you know, the, the, the one-shots. I mean, I kind of like having an arc and, you know, having a one-shot in here every so often breaking it up because mm-hmm. it just sort of, you know, expands the tapestry of the, you know, the Iron Fist uh, legend. So as long as they'll have me, I'll keep doing it. So, so when you're when you're you know when you're approaching Iron Fist, which is has a you know like the you know one of the things that made Brubaker and Fraction's take on it was adding in this you know history aspect of it and this legacy aspect of it. But you know Iron Fist it, you know comes out of that '70s kung fu kind of thing. Um, right. So does does that tie into the noirish kind of aspects of it, or are you playing more the fantasy kung fu kind of mystical kind of angles? I think it's like. Uh, it, it, to me, it's noirish in the sense that there's like a secret history, you know, that Danny himself is only starting to unfold, you know, and, and, and learn. Um, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of noir fiction, detective fiction especially, is about that secret history of what happened before you popped onto the scene. Um, you know, a lot of Ross McDonald novels, uh, you know, Lou Archer is his series character. So many of his books are about the secret family histories and how, you know, things you think you buried 20, 30 years ago aren't buried, and they're, they're, they've come back to bite you on the ass now. Right. You know, I think a lot of that applies to Danny because he has the rich history of people have come before him. And, you know, lessons that were learned even, you know, 500 years ago still still have an effect today you know, on what he does and how he operates. Uh, we have one a one-shot coming up in March, um, Iron Fist 24, which describes the uh, the only pacifist Iron Fist in the history of the <laughs> <laughs> World Iron Fist. And 
lesson he learns actually has a big effect on Danny, you know, down the road. So that's been fun. I mean, so as far as being, you know, the noir part is the idea of a secret history that really fascinates me. Like what's come before you may be forgotten, but it hasn't forgotten you. Uh, and then uh, you, you mentioned uh, Werewolf by Night a bunch of times, and and that was just released. Uh, you've been working on that like since you got to Marvel, and, and it just came out now, or? Yeah, more of a slow burn, like more or less. Like we, you know, that was one of the first ideas that popped out of my mouth. And Warren mentioned, "Hey, any kind of characters, you know, you need to know Werewolf by Night." <laughs> you know, blurred it out, <laughs> and I started putting ideas. And my approach was, okay, what if you know they made a movie, uh, Werewolf by Night, a complete reboot. What would it look like, and kind of what would be you know cool to do with a character, you know, in a, in a modern uh, setting? So that's kind of how it grew, and we just you know kept on ideas for a while, fine tuned it. Uh, I did scripts, you know, kind of stretched out over the last year or so. Mm-hmm. This was, it was impressive, you know, um, and you know, our, uh, Warren's you know, well, Nico, he's a fantastic artist. Uh, he did you know, I love his Moon Knight stuff. So he he's very meticulous. It takes a while to stuff, and I'm, I'm glad for it. He really you know, it's, it's beautiful. It's gross, but it's beautiful. <laughs> it, is, it is gross. I saw. Um, how, how do you approach sort of trying to find a new way to tell the werewolf story? I'm just glad the vampires are overplayed now, not werewolves. <laughs> Give it time. Yeah, that's that's true. Yeah, the vampire. We're, 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 we're coming on vampire fatigue very soon, I think. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, you're right. It, it, it's sort of one of those classic characters. Like, how do you put a new spin on him? And I don't know if it's, you know, for me, it's all about the personal connection. Like, you know, if I were if I were this werewolf guy and had this problem, what would I do? You know, and try to play that what if game mm-hmm. with those restrictions. Uh, and that's kind of where the story grew. And the uh, the first issue, I mean, it basically it describes what he's been doing in his life. He has a sort of panic room, this, this giant metal box he locks himself in whenever he's you know about to transform, and it keeps the world safe, keeps him you know locked away. And of course, that's the solution that's only last can last for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and the problems grow that you know are kind of the, the basis of the series. So that's how I, I approach it. Just like say, hey, look. If it were me, what would I do? Or, you know, if this were a real guy you know, in, in Philadelphia, what would he do? And it's and it's still Jack Russell, right? It is Jack Russell, yes. Okay. And, there, and there's the, some uh, fun with the name later. Yeah, I was just, that, that's, that's one of the things that's always, you know, I mean, like, like you know, when you look at, I mean, you look at the history of the character and stuff like that, that they actually named him Jack Russell. Just cracks me up. <laughs> um, that just occurred hilarious. to me. I mean, if we have you know a dog hero named Doberman, you know it's like okay, nice. Is that is that why you gave him the the alias in the story? There's more in the series. Let's see, explain kind of where Jack Russell came from. Um, and there's a nod to the little bit of silliness that is Jack Russell name. Mm-hmm. So you'll see that coming up. You know, one of the things that, and, and maybe this is something that you'll be touching on later, but it was, it was interesting to me. There's a guy who's completely and fully aware of what he was and scared of it, but he still chose to go ahead and have a family. Yeah, yeah. Is is that something that you're gonna? I assume you'll be touching on that later because it's it was interesting. Yeah, that's definitely part of the uh, the emotional part of the story. Um, and I think it's you know to be perfectly honest, and God help my wife isn't listening to this right now or later. But um, you know, it's all you know, it's the guy is hesitant. Like I mean, in the abstract, having a family sounds cool and fine, you know. But mm-hmm. a lot of guys think, well, no, that's all right. I'll just you know I'll be the the lone wolf guy, um, so to speak. Uh, but life sweeps you up. You don't. You really can't predict sometimes where life will take you. And I think Jack is kind of wrapped up in a whirlwind of, you know, he has this problem, but he's lulled in this false sense of security, and here he goes. He's married. His, his fiance is pregnant. Oh boy, how that happened? You know, I think that's how life works sometimes. You're not looking; it kind of just happens to you. 
Yeah, that's interesting. Now, now, honey, that... I don't mean you, honey, at all. My wife, <laughs> honey, it's not you at all, honey. Unless she goes around <laughs> downloading comic book podcasts, I think you're safe. Say whatever you want. <laughs> you can just admit to everything. <laughs> um, now that, that story takes place in in Philadelphia, and and so does your 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 Frank uh, Castle story. So obviously, you live in Philadelphia. It's a city that's really important to you. So, you know, are, are you actively trying to bring Philly into the Marvel universe more? It doesn't represent it, certainly. Yeah, I mean, in many small ways, I think, you know, I don't even think we have, like, we didn't have a superhero team, I don't think, you know, during registration, did we? I'm pretty sure we didn't. No. no. It's a big bummer. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's, yeah, no, it's just kind of fun to kind of set things here. And it's funny, I did, um, I knew both series were happening at the same time, you know, the Punisher Max and the Werewolf by Night Max. And there's one thing that's similar, that's the same in both, in both stories. There's a warehouse that appears on the docks in both. So... I had fun thinking that, okay, maybe after Frank Castle was done in the warehouse, Jack Russell, you know, steps in and goes to his panic room, you know, in this <laughs> twisted world. That was kind of fun. Yeah. How of course, important, I'll not that probably. How important is it to you to, to include, you know, the place where you live and you know really well into your writing? Is that is that a big component for you? Because, I mean, I don't know you all that well, but from what I've seen on Twitter and stuff on your blog, like, you know, you, you seem right. very civic-minded about about Yeah. Your I can't help it. It's, you know, I, I worked with the, uh, a newspaper here for the last, you know, three years. Um, my, my first month of career was spent here at a magazine, you know, and I, I just, you know, I do care about the city. It's a love-hate thing. I love the city. I love its potential, but a lot of things that happen depress me, mm-hmm. you know, or make me angry about mismanagement or, you know, crime. Um, we're very poor city in a lot of ways. So I guess I, I, if you care about something, it finds its way into your fiction, no matter what you're doing. Um, and a lot of it is, though, just really knowing it um, and caring about it, that it, it's kind of where my imagination goes to play, you know? You know I'm, I'm kind of daydreaming one day, you know, thinking about a Frank Castle story. I'll have him, like, downtown, kicking faces in, you know, not in New York City or somewhere else. That's kind of where it, it first happens for me in my head. You know, what was, you know, what was he doing here in Philadelphia? So, and I, you know, I realize that it can be overdone. I don't want to be kind of the, you know, Barry Levinson of, of, Philadelphia, where everything's set here for <laughs> the rest of my yeah. life, but but for now, it's just kind of, it's kind of again, it's, it sort of charges me up to tell stories here um, for a bunch of reasons. That makes sense. Um, and, and speaking of, you've got the, the Punisher Max, which was out just this week, I believe. Um, just yesterday, yeah. Punisher, Frank Castle, um, he's done everything you could do at this point, you know, like what what was your approach to sort of saying, all right, well, I've, I've got to I got to do a new Frank Castle story, or is it or is it not that hard at all? Well, I wouldn't have him teaching kindergarten for a while, but Axel said, well, I'm not sure about that. Um, I think I think Garth Ennis did a kindergarten story a couple of years ago, actually. Really? He might yeah. <laughs> There's so many. Like <laughs> Garth. No, I, I'm a long time punisher over here. That's one of the books that I really have you know read a lot of. And I, I hear all the complaints. I get the idea that he's a one-no character. He's a, he's a killer, blah, blah, blah. I don't really care. I love him. I think he's great. <laughs> I really do. Um, he's really watching a shark operate, and I love watching him operate. So when I had the chance to you know, pitch my own you know, sort of arc for Frank, I just thought about, okay, well, if it, you know, he's, he's at his best when he's in a really tough situation and really screwed. So along those lines, I thought, well, how can I really screw Frank Castle? What can I do to him to really piss him off and really set him off in a different way that, you know, then... You know, Garth has done, or other writers have done over the past few years. And the idea was basically that you know, to basically you know, put him on a on a leash um, where he's doing a death sentence and see how he reacts to it. And that's kind of what the story the story grew out of that little seed. 
if if you're writing if you're writing the Punisher, does it it feels a little like as long as you can think of the whatever the trap is, the the thing that's going to hold him back. After that, it's almost like you can just let him go because his you know his choices are always I'm going to kill the bad guy. Does it does it work like that? Does he kind of write himself? Well, sort of. Although you have to kind of get into his mind because I think he's all about getting from point A to B in the most efficient, straightforward way. But he's not the guy for elaborate traps. Mm-hmm. But he won't like do things that are you know, a Rube Goldberg-type trap from a mobster. You know, it's just whatever. He'll just, if it, he just lays a bolt in the brain, he'll put the bolt in the brain, you know, and, and you kind of have to get in that mindset. It's sort of, um, you hear your, your brain down a little bit in a weird way, you know, to think of just expediency, efficiency, you know, kill, kill, kill. Uh, he's, he reminds me of, like, both Jason Voorhees from Friday the 13th <laughs> and, you know, Parker from the classic, you know, Donald Westlake, Richard Stark series, so he's the amoral criminal, like, He's all about, this character's all about getting the job done fast. And to me, the fun of that and the fun of writing it is we don't live our lives that way most times. Most times we have to sort of like, you know, don't, not be direct, step around things, tiptoe around things, or, you know, be diplomatic, um, be nice to people, that kind of crap. So, I mean, you know, being on Frank's skin for a while, it's so much playful fun just living a life in a different way. And see what he would do in a situation. So, and that ties into the fact that you're working on the the Max Punisher series, which is out of the Marvel universe, more steeped in the in you know in, in kind of the quote unquote real world. You know, what is right. the, you know how how is it working? You know, working with a character like Danny Rand or Iron Fist or Iron Fist, who's in the in the middle of the Marvel universe, versus Frank Castle, who's outside of it in the real world. Oh yeah, it's just like you're on your own your own kind of your own turf, which is nice. I mean, you don't have to worry about you know Spidey coming by and then swinging down and, and talking to you. Um, although I do love. Spider-Man Punisher team that team ups. It's one of my fetishes, actually. I love that. I mean, those two meet. I don't know why. Um, <laughs> but it, it is kind of fun being in this one. And I'm actually lucky that, in some ways, that the books I've done so far have been in their own worlds. Uh, Cable is kind of in its own little cul-de-sac, you know, out there in the future. Um, Iron Fist really wasn't, you know, in my book at least, you know, caught in any secret invasion stuff at all or, yeah. or the, you know, Dark Reign stuff. Now it's kind of being it's, it's its own thing for now. Um, you know, that could easily change, but... I have been kind of living in these little pockets of the universe. You're in for a rude awakening, man. No. <laughs> <laughs> the big 40-part crossover that goes through Cable, Iron Fist, and Pulls and Punisher Max. <laughs> See, Peter David needs to talk to you. No! Um, with Werewolf, yeah. Yeah, with Werewolf, yeah. <laughs> now, sort of in the same uh, vein, but, but not in Marvel Comics, you also, I think this year, released uh, Murder at Wayne Manor um, that you worked on with David Laugham. Can you right. can you describe what this book is? Because I've heard a lot of people talk about it, and I'm just wondering how how would you describe it? Well, it's not a comic. It's not a novel. I mean, it basically is. It's a short story with a mystery you you try to solve yourself. Like it has you know the text is about twenty thousand words. It's a complete story, but you have like ten clues dropped in, and the clues you know, remove from the book, like a letter, a photograph, you know, all these sort of things to help you identify you know and solve the mystery. And it was actually kind of a, the second in the series, the same publisher did the year before. I did a Sherlock Holmes, you know, solve it yourself mystery. Uh, DC saw that and wouldn't do one with Batman this past year. So that's kind of how it, how it came about. And it was a blast. I mean, it wasn't as if I was like writing scripts, you know, for David. It was more I did the story. He illustrated a bunch of key scenes and, and cool stuff. And I, I love his work. He, he did a fantastic job. So that's kind of you know, what it is. So it's kind of a hybrid. I guess it's a, it's a book. You know, interactive mystery, they call it, but it's not quite a comic, not quite a novel. Now, do you approach writing that in, in the same way that you do a normal story and then go back, I guess, and adapt it for that sort of 
I was in more novel mode, but it's also more in whodunit mode, which is funny because in my own my own stuff, I write more crime novels more than whodunits, mm-hmm. and I'm not like concerned about you know who's doing what and you know the, the whole mystery aspect. So for both of the uh, the mysteries, these sort of these solve yourself mysteries, I had to kind of think in terms of clues. You know, these ten clues, how do they add up? What do they do? And that kind of informed how the story went. You know, I had this sort of idea of this dead body being discovered in Wayne Manor, kind of cold case, and how to fit that kind of piece around it. But mostly it was, I was kind of novel mode more than comic scripting mode, mm-hmm. honestly. I, I assume from this, though, that, that and, and from reading what you've done, uh, you'd love to do Batman at some point. I, I love to, but I, I'm, I am exclusive to Marvel, so oh, yeah. I may have my soul. Which is good. I like I like having my soul kept by Marvel. Well, that was but, that, there was you know, no hesitation in that answer at all. It's, <laughs> I, I work for Marvel. <laughs> I can't talk about DC. <laughs> I cannot discuss DC. Thank you for your cooperation. Yeah. Um, are there any characters who you'd really like to get your hands on? You know, given given the chance, sometime. Yeah, I mean, S- suppose you weren't exclusive. The... Oh, okay. Across the board. Yeah. Hmm. Definitely Batman. You know, or anything in that kind of. Uh, I mean, we got the Gotham University, a lot of fun. Um, obviously, Spidey. I'd love to tell a Spidey story someday, even if it's a little short, you know, a one-shot or something. Um, They're putting out just, four you know, a month. You must have a chance on that. <laughs> maybe. I don't know. I mean, you know, it's, it's, I have to sort of bribe Steve Wacker a little more, I guess. We'll see what happens. But <laughs> I'd love to at some point. And, you know, I, I really, it's funny. I, I've been treated to a lot of characters that I would have, you know, or dream characters. You know, Punisher, I did a Moon Knight one-shot. I did a Wolverine one shot was a lot of fun. I like the gruff, you know, you know, badass characters. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's it's my dreams haven't come true so far with who I've gotten gotten a chance to to write. Now, now with all this uh, comic work, do you do you still have time to do prose? Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. There's a couple fronts actually. One, I'm working on a new a new novel, so it's still in progress. I'm uh, writing a novel with someone else. I can't talk about it quite yet, but it's uh, someone not in. The book world, not in the comics world. It's sort of this big name, which you'll, you'll see later in a few months, two years. Mm-hmm. And I'm also working on the screenplay for one of my own books, Severance Package, which was optioned by Lionsgate, and they um, hired myself and the director, Brett Simon, to adapt it. Mm-hmm. So I'm working on that as well. It's, it's, you know, it's been busy. Not that I'm complaining about that, because, you know, I'm, I'm thrilled, but it's been crazy busy lately. I mean, it really, it feels like you have a ton of stuff going on. Are you, are you uh, really disciplined about the way that you go all about that, or you just work very fast? I work fast, but also I really have had to kind of be disciplined. I mean, this is the first time I've worked from home in a while. So the past years, I've been about, to me, just daily deadlines. Mm-hmm. If I can, like, you know, finish five or six script pages a day and, like, one or two thousand words of prose stuff, uh-huh. I'm really happy with myself. You know, some days I go over that. Some days I, you know, don't hit anywhere near it. <laughs> so it's, if I, on average, if I do that every day, it does help and adds up. Mm-hmm. And, if you, and I find that if you miss a day or two and kind of, Miss those deadlines, it's a snowball effect, and all of a sudden the deadlines are crushing on you. So I really try to learn how to, you know, do that bit every day. Do you, do you work do you work every single day? I know you have little kids, so you probably, the weekends are probably tougher. It is, but I, I do work every day pretty much, yeah, even Saturdays and Sundays. Um, I try to carve the day up where there is still, you know, time for the kids and time for normal, you know, family stuff and things like showering, you know, and things. But, um, <laughs> you know, it's mostly I do have a structure of day. Where <laughs> that shower can I, get away uh, from you. That's all I know. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, it's, it's it's tempting, but <laughs> I was gonna say, does it help to um, does it help to have the different types of work to uh, be it a comic script or a prose book to work on, so that if you get really stuck on one, you can switch over to the other one, or are you the do you have to finish something before you can move on to the next project? 
Oh, actually, no, definitely. It helps kind of be able to start around. I mean, it's, it's, it's actually it's a mental break. We sort of can work on something for a while. All right, let's change gears and go to the novel for a while, you know, where it's completely different, different voice, different kind of set of expectations. Um, so that's been a lot of fun. Um, although it's hard when, the, when a project nears the end, like say on the last, you know, seven pages of a comic strip or, you know, last 50 pages of a book, I kind of get into that, like, tunnel vision mentality, right? Just sort of sink into it and do nothing but that for a while. Yeah. Um, I just finished the um, last, you know, uh, 30 pages of the uh, screenplay for Severance Package, and that's all I did for, like, two days straight. I just you know, lived it for a while, and that helped at the end. So, so you know, in terms of moving from writing, you know, magazine articles and books and things like that, and moving into comic scripts, what has been the one kind of like? Has there ever been a moment where you kind of had to you you either you know made a mistake or, or realized there was a different type of writing? Was there something that where you know kind of an in, in interaction with an artist or an editor that made made you realize that this this medium is a little different than what you're used to? Good question. I mean, it's uh, no mistakes jump out. Just more like. A lot of little things, you know, the way you describe something that when you see it later, when it's in pencil or, you know, or sketch, you realize, oh, I should have explained this better. You know, I should have really um, done more to get the idea across to the artist. But nothing jumps out at me. That's um, like, you know, a huge mistake. I'm just really thankful to be, you know, doing this for a living. I mean, it's a dream come true. Um, I've always done this fiction part-time, but I'm lucky to in the world to be doing this now, you know, full-time for the past year. I think it's a dream. So, uh, thanks that you know, are outweighed by that, that, that fact. Definitely a lot of people are, would love to be in the position you're in right now. I know that's for sure. Um, so yeah. when working, yeah. so the, working with your comic scripts um, versus your pro scripts, I mean, because there's the visual aspect, you know, how much, you know, visual direction do you give to your artists? I mean, do you do, do, you do suggestions of layouts or of, thumb, or of character designs, or you just kind of, you know, kind of, you know, what is the give and take between the artists? I, think I, I try to give, like, the important details, the telling details that make a difference, you know, I don't try to go overboard or, you know, draw it for them with words. It also depends on the artist. Like, for instance, with Ariel Olivetti, I've learned that, you know, the best directions sometimes are simple, declarative, like, you know, sentences. Like, here is what, what you're seeing. Boom. And he runs with it, you know. Whereas other times, I'm kind of taking a little more time to describe uh, little details here and there. But, again, most of the details, I think, are important to the story. Not so much me trying to show off and be cool with what I see. It's more... You know, if you're going to use a gun on page eight, make sure the gun's there on page two kind of stuff. Um, now, now you've sort of shown up, like, I see you on Twitter and, and sort of on the web interacting with all these comic guys. You know, what's it like sort of being part of this churning online comic book community that that's sort of uh, blown up? Is that a lot different than the book community, which you'd been used to before? Or It's funny, you know, it's not. It, it kind of is similar. I mean, a couple of years ago, when blogs were kind of fused, I think it was like 2003, 2004, that was the year of the blogs, all of a sudden. And I kind of gravitated toward this sort of hub of crime writers who have their own blogs and kind of, you know, would hop back and forth and hang out. And it's kind of the same thing now. Now it seems that Twitter has replaced blogs. It's like a place where everyone hangs out. Yes. And it's funny. It's, it's, it's bizarre because I, I've come to know all these kind of people. I've never met face-to-face. So I'm looking forward to, uh, you know, Comic-Con in New York in a few weeks where I actually meet Jamie McKelvey and meet, you know, Andy Diggle and you know, these guys who I've talked to and I think I know to a degree in some small way. But, of course, we'll probably all meet up and hate each other. I think we're all asses, so. <laughs> Hardly. <laughs> it's it's going to be you another fight again. Every time, <laughs> these comic book people. Exactly. Drunken <laughs> fist fights and, you know, you know the story. But, yeah, it, it, it's funny. It, it, Twitter is like a dream because it's like that little distraction you need. It's as if you can sort of leave work 
go to your corner pub for like 60 seconds, make the rounds and leave again, go back to work, not drunk. You know, it's great. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of why I, it's a nice little release valve to the pressure of the day, the stress of the day. Well, so I, any other comic stuff or anything that you wanted to uh, mention before we, we get going out of here? No, not, I mean, there's a few things brewing, but they're kind of far off, so I can't really mention them just yet. But um, the biggest thing is with the crossover, you know, this uh, Cable and X-Force coming up, which is a lot of fun. That's, you know, and, you know, future, future novel stuff is exciting. You know, I, I, novels I'm really, really cautious about because I never talk about them until they're done, like, at the, like my editor signed off on, ready to go, because, I don't know, it just means, like, it's like sort of a bad jinx possibility, you know. When I talk about it, you know, Stephen King will publish a book just like it or something, or, you know, or, or somebody will, you know, have the idea everywhere. Yeah, but in comics, you can talk about something six, seven, eight mo- months before it's done, and even if it never shows up, people are pretty much used to it. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> it's funny how, like, you know, there's certainly the, the waves of readers. A lot of some readers who, like, read the solicits and kind of almost know the story already, and it's from solicits. And then, you know, there's some readers who encounter it fresh that Wednesday when they pick the issue up. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting keeping both in mind when you're kind of, you know, telling a story or, you know, talking about it ahead of time. Well, listen, uh, thanks for talking to us. Um, Clearly, you've had you've had a great year, and uh, I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing more of it. And uh, sounds like you're pumped, so that's good. Yeah. So if um, as we me- as we mentioned, you're on Twitter. So if people want to follow you on Twitter, what is your uh, Twitter n- name? It's uh, Swearzy. The whole name probably wouldn't fit. So it's S W I E R C Z Y. Cool. Which is like Smith, you know. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> and um, everybody should check out you know Cable and and Punisher Max and um, and Dead by Night featuring Werewolf by Night from Marvel and ch- and be on the lookout for your novels. Yeah, definitely. And and really, I mean, it's been it's been great over the past year to see you kind of emerge on the scene. And and I've really been enjoying Iron Fist and enjoying Cable. So I'm excited for the McKelvey run and all that kind of stuff. So and hopefully you know cool. some more great books coming from you. Great, thanks so much, guys. Really appreciate it. It was a perfect, a perfect, a perfect, a perfect. We want to thank Dwayne for his time. Make sure you check out his Marvel work like Cable, Dead of Night, Werewolf by Night, Immortal Iron Fist, Punisher. Check out his books like Severance Package. Also, you can go to ifanboy.com to comment on this podcast, or you can write us an email at contact at ifanboy.com if you have any questions, comments, or anything like that. Thanks very much for listening, and we'll see you soon. The perfect, the perfect, the perfect.